We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, you beautiful souls. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to hang out with us on Empower Radio. I have a question for you to consider. Would you say you live a more head-based life or a more heart-based life? I believe so many of us think we need to use our minds, intellect, and logic to live our lives the way we should or have been taught to. And though this can work for some and can work for a while, many of us eventually find this way of being limited, unsatisfying, confusing, and painful. If we really want to evolve into more loving beings and experience more fully fulfilling and expansive life, we need the courage to let our heart lead the way. I love this quote from E.E. Cummings. It takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. Well, today we are spending a lot of time with a very courageous man who had to struggle with a great deal of resistance, frustration, and confusion, but finally allowed his heart to take the driver's seat in his life. We are spending time with the best-selling author of the amazing and transformational book, Soul Shaping, A Journey of Self-Creation. Soul Shaping is the inspiring memoir of an archetypal male warrior who had a deep desire to live a more soulful life. Jeff Brown did everything he was supposed to from the worldly perspective. He was well on his way to a powerful and lucrative career as a trial attorney. He won the Law and Medicine Prize in law school and apprenticed with top criminal lawyer Eddie Greenspan. Jeff had a noble, lifelong dream to search for truth and justice in the courtroom. He was on the verge of opening his practice when he heard a little voice that was prompting him in a very different direction. Though he resisted, argued, and tried to make deals with this voice, he eventually honored it. Jeff began his quest to search for his authentic face and embody his essential being. As a part of his journey, Jeff studied bioenergetics, practiced body-centered psychotherapy, and completed a master's degree in psychology. However, the most important thing Jeff did was his inner work. He peeled layer after layer off and finally became congruent in body, mind, emotions, and spirit. Jeff has has effectively and successfully bridged the worlds between his head and his heart. He is now a successful entrepreneur with his current intention being to support others in raising the flag of the little voice to the rafters of consciousness. So, Jeff Brown, I'm so honored you're spending time with us here today on Journey to Center. Thank you, Tammy. Wow, I was listening to that, 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 those press clippings. You know, it's like <laughs> so interesting how every day I have to find my way back to my path despite my press clippings, you know. Isn't it true? I mean, that's something I've found in my reality. Uh, to maintain that sincere, sincere, sincere desire to remain in my humility so I don't go kind of off on that ego track that is so insidious and compelling. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I think, that, I mean, the writing, trying to book write is helpful to me because I'm only effective writing when I'm, when I'm completely disconnected from the unhealthy parts of my ego. I need to be connected to the healthy parts because I need to feel empowered and to believe in my voice and all that. But... It's interesting. It's 
So the measure for me of, that I've gone down the wrong path is that I, I can't surrender enough and get humble enough to find the words, you know? Well, so I, I just love this, the way this conversation's beginning, because what I got is that, that you're amused with your press clippings. And I think that is fine. I think that's wonderful. I think. Oh, that's they're amazing. so funny. They're just so funny, you know? To be amused is a wonderful thing, not to, yeah. to buy into it and get, you know, puffed up, but to just be entertained and amused. I mean, yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. They're high comedy. Of, they're high comedy. Yeah, they're high, high comedy. comedy. Yeah. But and, I and, have and, read and, your and, book, and this is yeah. not a comedy. No. Your book <laughs> is no so amazing. It's like it was taking me so long to read it because I didn't want to miss anything. And that's not always how I read, but I found myself so drawn in. You were so authentic with your journey. And as hard as the spiritual path is, I think, for anyone, I think it's it's doubly hard for a masculine man, which you were and are, but you had a deeper more sincere intention to live a soulful, balanced, heartfelt life. And I was just absolutely drawn in and intrigued and impressed with your work. Thank you. I, I mean, I, you know, um, I, I think what I really wanted throughout my life was just to live the life I was here to live. And, you know, I, I mean, my mother was a wonderful inspiration on many different levels, a great overcoming for me. And, you know, I formed the idea at a very early age. She became my symbol of um, imprisonment, really, and amongst other things, but she really did become that. And so I set it up very early, this goal in myself to live the actualized life that I believe she didn't want me to. And so that became really this kind of modus operandi. Like I used to write on my wall, you will not destroy me. And then I would list my goals for the week. And I kept doing that. I would write all over the walls. I would write everywhere. I had goals that I was really clear on, you know, trying to identify or delineate what an actualized life was. What would the life that I, what life would I live if nothing got in my way and if nobody held me back and if the culture didn't sidetrack me? And, and I just kept going for that, trying to clarify. And for a while, I looked outside of myself for the answers. And ultimately, it became very clear to me that I had an encoded path that lived inside of me. I had so many hints and callings and whispers of true path that arose throughout my life, more later when I broke free from the shackles of my childhood environment. But, you know, and that really, ultimately, what I was going for was the path that was already encoded. And it wasn't easy, was it? <laughs> No, no. I mean, it was, it was the only step I could take, but it was a, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it probably would have been harder for me to have not done the path. So it wasn't easy, but it wasn't the hardest path. It just, it just required a whole lot of work. And, yes. you know, I was a worker. I mean, I'm, I'm a worker. So I was built for that. And, you know, I mean, there, but there were a lot of very, very challenging stages where, you know, it was all I could do to just make it through the tunnel to a little bit more clarity. And I remember right after I stepped back from law for the moment, the first time, right after being called to the bar in Ontario, and I remember I would just like lie on the couch and not doing anything. And I had not done anything for most of my adult life. I'd always been doing. So for me, just to lie on that couch and to feel all the feelings, including painful feelings, that lived below the doer warrior. I, I just was absolutely excruciating to expand my container to include the pain of my ordinary inner world. You know, I've been moving so quickly, like I had really no awareness of it. Um, 
And I, re- I did that for like a couple of years. I mean, I did read a business. I did things. But I spent a lot of time just lying there. And it was, it was just so darn difficult. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, that, that wouldn't be natural for a human being and a warrior. Or human no, doing, no, maybe is a that, better right, word for it. <laughs> right, right. It, I was going against my conditioned nature. I was yes. going against probably the archetype that had ruled my consciousness from lifetime to lifetime. It was a radical shift, you know, and I did it at a time when I was like around 30, just called to the bar after having a you know, prize-winning year as an articling student working with Eddie, did a big murder trial, wrote lengthy jury address. I mean, I was really prepared, really, to walk into that with enormous confidence. So it was like the moment when it was completely counterintuitive, at least culturally counterintuitive, to lie on the couch. (laughs) But my inner voice, this little voice that knew, the guy called Little Missy inside of me, kept saying, just lie on the couch. And I kept interfacing, saying, I don't want to lie in the couch. What's wrong with you? I want to go and build and do. And Dude, I had a 40 yes. million things I was going to do with a law practice and all that. And high-profile trials and all kinds of draw attention to the defense and mental health defenses and expand mental health consciousness and criminal, all that. And little voice just kept saying, just lie on the couch. <laughs> like, okay. So I, for some insane reason, Tammy, I listened to this little annoying nudgy voice inside of me and um yeah so again yeah what i i hear as i listen to your voice and as and i picked up on it so strongly in reading your book you have such a good mind and such a strong um warrior archetype and you also have such a strong heart and such a sweet it's almost like um i don't know divine feminine or soul, if you will, and, and to blend those words, worlds that were so far apart, you know, from, I, I don't know, I, I think it had to be just um, confusing and frustrating and challenging. I know it absolutely, absolutely yes. radical. It was, a, I mean, it was, thank radical. you for seeing, for seeing that it was, it was, I wish I was so naturally edgy you know, I'm like the feistiest human you'll ever meet. And so for me to shift from that feisty, sharp-minded, unstoppable mind thing to a place of exploring the surrendered heart um, was incredibly and unbelievably uncomfortable. I hated it. I, I had to do it for some reason, but I really, truly hated it. You know, the call of my soul was so much stronger than the call of my conditioning. And, um, but nonetheless, it was still, you know, 51% go for this and 49 the other. It really was like that. And so when people get all hyped up and talk about how easy it is to shift your baby, I mean, they're lying. I mean, maybe it's true <laughs> for a few people, but really for most of us in this inauthentic culture to move in the direction of finding an authentic voice inside of us. It's really labor intensive. It's really, it is labor intensive. It it does take such strong intention and courage. I mean, this is not an easy or madness or whatever. I don't, you know, I don't know what the words are. I mean, I didn't have a choice, you know, I mean, I think I, I knew I had the good sense to know that if I ignored this voice, this nudgy nagging voice inside of me, that I was going to suffer even more than I was already suffering listening to her. You know, I got mm-hmm. that. Somehow I got that. I had enough wisdom to know. You know, I had that whole sliding doors imagery with relationship and with path, and I really saw what would happen to me, how I would crunch inward. 
against myself if I didn't go in the direction of this path that was encoded in me. But having said that, trying to figure out what that path was in a distracted culture, in a distracted consciousness, with unresolved emotional material bunking up the clarification of the path, and you know, with messages from the outer world saying, well, you schmuck, how can you not be practicing trial law? You're ready, you came from nothing, you're ready to be a champion, what's wrong with you? you know, I mean, there's so much of that, there was so much of that on every level, internalized and externalized. So, yeah, it's... It's hard work, but, but you, you've got to find some basis to believe that this little voice inside of you knows more than everybody else, including knows more than the conditioned parts of you that have taken on those externalized perspectives, right? I mean, you've got to have a lot of faith in your voice. And faith is such a big um, quality and, and, and something we need so much if we're going to say yes to our soul and, and you talk about that in your book too you know is the universe a safe and loving place you know yeah, i didn't believe that it was i didn't mean either i had to i had to t- i had to just make a leap of faith that that i wasn't being led down this path for destructive reasons but you know i mean apart from having had wonderful grandparents that really gave me reason to believe i had a lot of reasons not to believe in a benevolent universe so you know, it was like I had to punch my way through the art of surrender. So I think. Mm. That, yeah, on yeah, some level, it doesn't seem like it's natural because it, we're giving up control. And that yeah. is, I think, the biggest addiction human beings have. Well, and also survivalism. I mean, this is yes. a survivalist culture where you survive, you define yourself for the hundreds of years we've been defining ourselves based on what puts, what puts food on the table. You know, I, I, am the, I am an accountant and that consciousness makes me a living and I achieve my goals and I'll retire with no mortgage and a pension and all of those things. And so when you start thinking or feeling into this question of who am I really? Whoa. I mean, it's, there's no precedent for it in the culture yet. You know, we're only at the beginning of a, of a shift in the direction of embracing that question. People thought with a big, big shift is it's the beginning of a many, many generation to come shift in the direction of authenticity as our orienting principle away from survivalism. And for most people on the planet, let's be real. Survivalism is everything. It's all they can do to get food on the table. So Yes. And I loved you, know. you brought that up in your book too, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, absolutely. That's such an important thing to understand. Absolutely. And even now, you know, I, when my anxiety is still gripping around the root chakra, I can't write a word, you know, and I, all of these more subtle considerations, the things we're talking about or thinking about start to look from the perspective of someone in basic needs, vibration, anxiety, like a ridiculous esoteric concern, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, and it's part of why on some level when I start getting into a process like with this book that I'm working on now, I want to go as far in as fast as I can because you never know how, how long it's going to be before you're pulled back to the root chakra anxiety of the planet. Yeah, mass consciousness really is entrenched yeah, or, in the fear. Yeah, or something's going to happen. Or I mean, it's, you know, I'm a Jew. I mean, I grew up, you know, surrounded <laughs> by Jews who were worried about not having food on the table with very good reason. And, and that is a profound energetic. I've known a lot of Jewish yeah. people, a lot of Jewish friends that have really worked hard, as you have, to try to shed that um that that uh, energy that is part of your you know soul level yeah. curriculum cellular memory it's yeah. it's definitely an uphill climb. It's a hard know. one. It's a hard it is. One. It takes I think so much compassion to be to be able to cultivate compassion for ourselves, get past that self loathing and shame, and have compassion. I think that's when the wind can start to 
come into the sails and start carrying us in the direction God would have us go. Well, but faith is important because if all you've known generationally and in your lineage, you know, and in your upbringing is, for example, root chakra anxiety, poverty consciousness, which I believe most people on the planet live with every day of their lives. For sure. Yeah, shifting in the direction of, you know, that there's going to be abundance if you honor your true path, the most subtle, creative, artistic voice inside of you, you absolutely have to have a tremendous amount of faith. You, you have to. And yeah, and I don't know about you, but for me, I decided to play with the notion of faith as an experiment. And if it didn't work, if I found that the universe wasn't a safe and loving place, after experimenting with that possibility, I could go back to this way of being, which was fear-based. But, you know, as I stepped more into that, I found that I really could trust it. <laughs> So did you just flip a switch or did you experiment with it or how did you really kind of cultivate that quality of faith? In tiny little baby increments. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, was not a, it wasn't a turning on a switch thing. It was, and it still is, it continues to be an ongoing dialogue between the gripping parts of myself and also the practical parts of myself, you know, I mean, there's a reality to this that has nothing to do with poverty consciousness. It has to do with the fact that, you know, I'm much more likely to become economically comfortable as a trial lawyer than as a self-help writer. I mean, that's, I don't know too many self-help writers, including very successful ones that have enough money to live on doing only that. So that's the practical reality of it. You know, luckily I have another business. I'm grounded in that and I don't, won't let my writing career be affected by economic considerations. I don't want my voice to be affected by that, but you know, for many of them uh, that I know of, it, they struggled terribly. And I don't know how they find the words in the heart of that anxiety. It's, um, well, and I think it, you're bringing up such a good point. It's finding that balance between that, between being that spiritual being and being that human being. And I don't distinguish those two. And I think for me, that's really the key. It's, it's to make them indistinguishable from each other. What I call ascending with mm. both feet on the ground. I, I don't see anything not spiritual about my human experience or... You know, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even know what we mean by, by that. To me, it's all spirituality. You know, spirit, the real spiritual life is the life that's inclusive of all aspects of the human experience, subtle and gross realms, practical. And, and I love that. It is, it's, to me, it's opening the pinch in the middle of the hourglass, living a more open, congruent life between our soul self and our human self. Again, you know, just embodying our soul. And I don't think most people we don't got much of a way. choice. We don't got much of a choice, really. We are embodying our soul. We may not be aware of the fact that we're embodying our soul, but we are. Oh, of course we are. I mean, how can we not be connected to our soul? I mean, there's no other way. But I do think somebody said this, and I don't know who it was, somebody that I had interviewed at one point, that it takes approximately 60,000 lifetimes to wake up. I was like, gosh, I'm, I'm 35. I can't believe I'm just now starting to open my mind to this possibility. But if I've lived... 59,999, 35 in the overall scheme of things. Isn't what, that old? What, what, what character wrote that? It was like 60,000. How did they I have no idea, but I read it and I went, okay, in the overall that. scheme of things, I'm not doing bad. <laughs> but I know for a fact, I said yes to my soul in this lifetime where I feel yeah. like I must have resisted it. And you talk about that in your book. You must have resisted it for many lifetimes. <laughs> but you're clearly saying well, yes. Well, well, well I, don't, I don't see an absolute waking up. I mean, I, I think that we are walking in step with a culture. And you can't break far too far away from the cultural, the, the collective consciousness. And so for me, it's like I, I'm 
I'd like to believe that I'm more aware in this lifetime than I was in the last time, and mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that I'll get even more aware in the next lifetime. Yes, I, yeah. I do. I think it's layers. It's like you said, baby yeah. steps. Yeah. One step at a time. Growers are One inchworms. Growers are inchworms. Yes, we growers are inchworms. You have so many great quotes in your book. I've been quite, quoting you a lot this week on Facebook. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. And I'm going to continue because there's such rich material in here, just these thought-provoking sentences and, and words. And it's like, wait a minute, I have to stop and really sit with this for a minute because I know there's so much potential in, in your thoughts and your words, the way you express them. It's just like, this is really a companion, I think, for anybody who wants to um, – embody more of their soul, line up more fully with their soul. I really think there's just so much wisdom here that you, that you share just such a, such a good read. So um, something else you talk about that I just couldn't agree with more and you put it so succinctly, you talk about how many of us move through our lives with our true selves buried beneath the layers of repressed emotion. And here's, here's a quote about that. that You just went, bam. This was one of the bam effects for me. Although the body moves forward chronologically, one's emotional consciousness lingers at any point of departure. If, you lo- if you're like most people, some part of you has been left behind on the journey. If all you seek is survival, then it's probably wise to leave it back there. But if you really want to live, it is imperative that you go back down that path and claim it. You've got to be there then before you can be here now. That the power, blows that's the power of, Well, that, you know, it's so interesting. It's the power of then, I call that, in the Soul Shaping Dictionary at the back. And for me, it's really, you know, I was reading um, Tolle and his yes. book, The Power Now. And, and you know, my, I had some experiences when I would explore his witness observer consciousness shtick, you know, detach from the pain body and, and call that presence. And, Unfortunately, my experience was the opposite. When I detachment was a wonderful lifesaver, and it was a, a fantastic tool to allow me to pull up and out of my localized or habitual consciousness to see myself through a vaster perspective. But it, but then I was just floating, like or I was emo, like kind of like emotionally flatlined energetically, and you know how they, they end up talking these non-dual teachers like they're not actually in their hearts or their bodies anymore. And I, so for me, the only place I ever grew in my spirituality um, was in the interface with my emotional material. That is that repressed emotions were unactualized spiritual lessons so that I couldn't be in the now except to the extent that I had cleared out my emotional debris and um, which created space inside for me to actually be here, right? Rather than mm-hmm. still lodged in the past. But also to the extent that I worked through those primary issues, what I call soul scriptures that I came in with in my lifetime, I actually could grow and expand in my spirituality. So the power of then seemed to me a much more um, profound and impactful reality for most of us in our daily lives, both in terms of obstructing our presence, but also in terms of it being the richest place to go to expand in our spiritual consciousness. So... You know, so to talk about the power of now without talking about the relationship between that and our emotional holdings, to me, seem completely counterintuitive, what I call self-avoidance masquerading as enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's possible that some people can just, like, have a nervous breakdown and crack open like that. I think it's highly unusual. And yeah, I'm absolutely. I'm with you. That, yeah, yes, well, that, well no, but, they, but sure, they, they can have that experience and they can break through to the other side. That's very different from people writing about watching the pain body 
and watching it dissipate. That's not, they're not having an emotional healing journey. They're having a self-avoidance trip. And I'm much more, yeah, I'm much more attracted to the juicy and heart and feeling realm experience of clearing out the debris, obstructions to the opening of the heart, then opening the heart and actually having an experience of the moment right here. Mm. It has been one of the most powerful tools in my life to be able to take my current consciousness and go back to those moments in time where I was hurt and disillusioned and betrayed as a child or a younger person or even me last week. If I bring my current compassion and love back to those places where I was fractured or stunted or in great pain, something inside shifts, something lifts. And I feel like a layer comes off and I become more comfortable within myself. And so that was why that paragraph spoke so deeply to me. It's like such a beautiful way of, of putting that experience into kind of a, a nutshell, if you will, because I'm like, I'm like you, that has been yeah. such an important part of my healing right. process. Right. Yeah. And how could it not be? I mean, we, we have to go back and reclaim what's been lost. It's, just, I mean, it's almost common sense, but in a in an overwhelmed, overstimulated, and deeply pained world, you can see the temptation to develop other tools that uh, and fool ourselves into believing that they are somehow substitutes for doing the real work of reclaiming our childhood. You know, but oh, you, for sure. I mean, it's not fun to hurt. It's not fun no. to cry those repressed tears. It's sure very compelling to go maybe have a cocktail and go shopping. Absolutely. I, I want to go shopping. I, I, I think about it. I, I go by the mall, drive by the mall all the time, and I long for those days when I got excited to be in the frickin' mall, okay? And then, <laughs> no, this is really true. There's this mall like going where to the candy I store when you're a kid, going to the mall Absolutely. when you're... Absolutely. I want to go to the mall. I want to buy something, and I want to be excited about it. I want to hang it in the, in the closet and look at it and not wear it because it's for a special occasion. So I went to the mall a few weeks ago and I bought a shirt at the mall because I wanted, and you know, it was like, it's like a little moment of excitement. And then I just, I didn't seem to care anymore. And I, it's like I, saccharine. It doesn't feed our I soul. Want I want it back. I want it back. I know. Wasn't those, weren't those fun days? <laughs> All right, Jeff, we have to go to break. Uh, I can't believe how fast this is going. And when we come back, Jeff Brown and I are going to talk about maybe some steps we can take to start living a more soulful life. So hang on. We'll be right back with Jeff Brown, author of Soul Shaping. Hang on. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location. In the forest near the side of the road. No need for alarm, sir. The forest is where bears live. But this was no ordinary bear. No ordinary bear? At one second, I'm having a smoke taken in the view. Next thing I know, I am face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Let me guess. Smokey had a tip for you. He did. He must have seen me toss my cigarette on the ground. He told me never to do that because it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. He's a smart bear. Did you know that nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? That means nine out of ten wildfires can be prevented. That's what Smokey Smokey said. I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous, and you're not. Good point. Get your Smokey on. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference, because 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. License and registration. But I'm walking. 
Do you want to upset an officer of the law? No, sir. Good. I pulled you over today for littering. Uh, I didn't litter. <laughs> wow. That's what they all say. Unfortunately, I saw you drop a pair of thunder thighs a few blocks back. Probably happened as you were biting into that apple you're holding. Uh, how'd you know they're my thunder thighs? Hmm? Well, my young friend, I'd like to say two years in the police academy helped figure it out. But between us, it was smallstep.gov. Smallstep.gov? Yep, Rooney. It's this site with tons of easy ways to lose weight. Some steps are so easy, people don't realize they're doing them. Like you taking small step number 83, snack on fruits. Go to smallstep.gov, you'll see. You can drive off now. I'm still walking. Take a small step to get healthy at smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Sassy! This week's episode, Trouble on Rock Hill. Ain't nothing like running up and down Rock Hill. Hey, let's move this rock. Whoa! Sassy, Johnny's stuck under that rock. Yeah, girl, go tell Mr. Gunderson to bring his truck. You'll tell him, but only after you dispel a stereotype associated with shelter pets? People think shelter pets come with lots of initial veterinary costs? It's dusty under here. But in reality, most shelter pets have been vaccinated, neutered, and microchipped in case they get lost? My pants ripped. Sassy, Johnny needs help. What Johnny really needs is more discipline and better parental supervision? You use big words, Sassy. Still under the rock. Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Belashevsky. Hello, my beautiful listeners. If you're listening live, happy, happy Valentine's Day to you. And if you're not, um, still, love from my heart to yours. We are spending some quality time with a really incredible guy, Jeff Brown. And Jeff, before we went to break, we were talking about the good old days when we can go to the mall, have cocktails, buy stuff, yeah. and fill up from the outside yeah. in. And weren't those yes. fun days? <laughs> yes. I miss being 20. <laughs> yes. Those were fun. And, and now it's funny because I really, my intention is grace and peace and space and um, peace, serenity. And I'm like, well, that certainly wasn't my intention in my 20s and 30s. So, you know, in some ways, I you know, I kind of miss those serenity. days. But... I experienced serenity at the shopping mall in my 20s. My late <laughs> teens. We used, we used to go to the shopping mall looking for girls. I mean, that's what we did. You know, I remember at 13 years old, Hillcrest Mall, north of Toronto, I saw the woman of my dreams in the food court. I was so <laughs> absolutely in love with her. I went back there with my friends eight or ten Saturdays in a row after that at the same time at the same location in the hope of finding her. And then uh, I never found her. Oh, the love story that didn't have the happy ending. That makes me so sad. No, no, I know. But I That's funny, I have a fourteen year old stepson, so yeah, I'm I'm watching the throes of the romance in the malls. Yeah, it was it, it was good times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now that we're I'd like to say maybe more spiritually adult or seeking to be more spiritually adult, what do you think are some things that we can do to start not filling up from the outside in, but rather I don't know if it's filling up or relaxing or finding our peace from the inside out. Well, you know, get into therapy. This is the first step. Like, you know, get into some kind of a therapeutic process if you need one. 
and many of us do at some point along the way, where you're actually clearing out some of the um, the old emotional holdings. I mean, I think that, you know, so many of us live such bunked up lives. It's like when you go to like a, a meditation retreat and you see all these like Westerners, these, you know, emotionally repressed, you know, super busy Westerners sitting on the cushion, like total head trippers, trying to calm down and watch the leaves float down the river when really what they need to do is rage and kick and scream and race through the woods, you know, mm-hmm. shouting at the top of their lungs and crying and releasing all of that material. Alexander Lowen, who founded Bioenergetics and who I did session work with, used to do kicks with sound 300 times every morning. He said, forget your childhood just to deal with the holdings from the culture itself. You need to clear out every single morning if you want to be present in your body. So, you know, given the fact that most of us on top of that have an enormous amount of unresolved and unsaid words, emotional Mm -hmm. material, I think creating space, first of all, for some kind of therapeutic process of release is really, really important. Osho has a dynamic meditation you can find online that's helpful, and holotropic breathwork is an amazing workshop experience to have if you don't have the money or the time to do weekly therapy. And so that's the first thing, I, and I think creating solitude and space in your life is really important where you prioritize even an hour a week that you're simply going to be connecting in whatever way you're comfortable with your inner world in a quieter environment, I think that's a really important step on the path too. Yeah. To give us that, give ourselves that permission to be instead of do. I know when I started doing that because my soul insisted, I really judged myself as lazy, but now I understand how important that solitude is. I love that. I love that word that you've coined. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can experience solitude in motion. I mean, maybe you walk through the woods or, dance to music that you love, whatever it is that brings you back in touch with or initially in touch with your essential self. It's totally fine. It can be lovemaking. It doesn't matter what it is. It's whatever it does for you. It's not harming anyone. Right. It's perfect. You know? And it doesn't have to be sitting and meditative. For me, sitting meditatively is very seldom very helpful to me. I'm more comfortable with meditation and motion. I get to the meditative state after the movement and after the release far more effective. I love that. I hadn't really considered it, but I was reading your book that that's something that you do sometimes. You do the movement. You get the yeah. energy out of your body. Yeah. And then once you release the energy, you can sit. Um, well, well, or not sit. Well. You're just, or not you're just, sit. <laughs> you're just here. You know, then you're more truly – you're Present. in that place mm-hmm. of unity. You're much more connected. Yeah, You're not all yes. bunked up, right? Most of us are bunked up all the time. and. So you figure how to figure out the way, whatever it is, if it's anger hitting the mattress, if it's tears, grieving, you know, all of it, whatever it is that allows you to re-experience uh, freshness of appreciation, you know, and mm. sitting on the cushion is not always the way to do that. Not always the way. Yeah. I, I think meditation is so vital for me, but I, I, I think I'm going to use this practice of yours and unwind a little bit before I try to be still. Um, I think that's really Vital. You also talk about the importance of spaciousness and congruence. I think that's so lovely. Can we, can we talk a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, I remember those sections. Uh, well, well, spaciousness is is what we're talking about about creating actual physical space on the outside that is in your environment, so that you're not all cluttered up. Um, you know, and I, just creating a room, at least in your house, that's more open and where yeah you're not falling over things and also what we just talked about which is creating inner spaciousness so that there's breathing room inside of the temple 
so the temple's not filled with old emotional holdings and things you keep falling and tripping over. And congruence is trying to, you know, practice like the art, for example, of selective attachment, where in your day-to-day life, you're you're surrounded by people and doing activities that feel like they're consistent or congruent with your true self, you know? So if you have friends that when you're in their presence, you feel like you're adapting lowest common denominator principle to a vibration that's not where you've grown to in your life, then you work in the direction of shedding those friends and Mm -hmm. finding people that resonate with you, that are congruent with who you're becoming. And same thing with your activities. If you're going and doing things that just don't really feel like who you are anymore, then really recognizing that that's a habit and, and owning the part of you that may be comforted by habit and then embarking on a journey to create more congruence with who you've become in all other parts of your life. Yeah, that was something that, again, I found such um, great value in. You talk about um, the loss of friends. Letting your soul be your yeah. pilot often means you fly solo until you're ready for a deeper connection. Right. And I, I see so many people that are sincere seekers, and, and they get confused because they end up in these spaces of not having their friends, their friends leave. And I, I tell them it's because they're trying to go through a glass ceiling to the next level of consciousness. And we can't really di- dictate or predict who's going to also say yes to the journey. And even if they do, maybe right. they go a different direction. Yeah, I mean, it's we're going to shed connections along the way. And, you know, I think, I mean, it's probably true that as we become happier and more infused with purpose on our path, you know, we can find, we get easy, we get better at finding ways to, to love many more people than we could have before. But loving them and hanging out with them are two different things. And, you know, I think some of the ungrounded New Age mantras, like the, you know, the idea that it's, that you're being judgmental, for example, if you choose to disconnect from certain people in your life, they don't serve us very well. Because the hardcore reality, as we all know on a grounded level, is that some connections, we do outgrow them. And we do feel judgmental. We do feel like they're not a fit for who we're becoming in our lives. Mm, Yes. And it's okay. It's really okay. It's okay. You know, I say that okay. a lot. Some people are better loved at a distance. And and you talk yep. in, in your book about spending time with somebody and they were very narcissistic. And at the end of it, you just felt exhausted because it wasn't yep. an exchange of yep. energy. It was kind of there was yep. maybe a sucking sound and, and there was not that much in it for you. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to the, distance it wasn't, yourself It wasn't the good situation. kind of sucking. No, absolutely. It was absolutely... <laughs> And utterly draining. I remember that connection very well. You know, and I have a thing I do now with people like that who I'm around, and I say, look, let's try something new. I've just, I, I've been practicing this, I tell them. So let's say we're going to interact for half an hour. How about we do this? I focus on you for the first 15, exclusively. I don't jump off and talk about myself. I should really focus on you. You focus on me for 15. And then at the end of it, 30 minutes, we both feel like we've been hurt, right? It's a very simple practice. It's a very simple practice, right? And of course, the problem when you're dealing with people who are still trapped in the, their narcissistic structure is that they use every opportunity, no matter what you're talking about, to bring it back to themselves. So you have to, you have to you know, we have to learn how to dialogue. And, and, and the problem with that practice for them is they never feel gratified because really they're not having any kind of a sharing. You know, they're just pinning somebody down in the corner and forcing them to listen. So... You know, I think that that's always my first effort. And if it's ineffective, it's just ineffective. You, know? you go on to the next yeah. relationship or person or friend. There's a lot of humans. We don't have to hang out with every single one of them. A lot of humans. There's billions, <laughs> I'm told. Millions and millions. And, and yeah. it's... Uh, go to the know, shopping mall. They're say, everywhere. They're, they are. You look around, they're <laughs> everywhere. And, and what I've really gotten to is like, everything's allowed. Everything in the universe is allowed. But we get to choose 
where we hang out and who we play with. It doesn't mean we hate everybody else. Selective attachment. The art of selective attachment. I love that. I say, you know, preference is, is lovely. Hold, hold everything with an open hand, but yeah. we can kind of like float around like a bubble and decide where we want to, you know, hang out, be like a butterfly. Where do we want to go? Who feeds well, us? And I love to give generously and receive graciously. Right. And um, I think that's sacred, purpose, sacred purpose plays a role. I mean, I think what happens is if you really find your path, if you, well, whatever it is, however humble it may be, you know, so if whatever your your purpose is, you you do tend to um, attract people who are c- congruent with it. Others yes. vibrationally don't come as often towards you, and you know, and what happens is the the purpose really it becomes like a buffer against vibrations that aren't congruent. Like it becomes easier when you know what you're here to do to say that's not a fit for me. If yes. you're still looking for that, what you're here to do. It's easier to get hooked into traps and fall down escape hatches, you know, because you don't know why you're here. So you're you're kind of floating about. And, you know, now that I kind of know what I want to do with my time, it's a lot easier to just not do anything else. With <laughs> Say no to what you don't want. Right. Yeah, because you're clear on what you do want. Yeah. Well, and what you're saying also brings to mind that whole philosophy of water finding its own level or, um, right. you know, uh, attraction, the vibration you know, if we take responsibility for us, our stuff, everything kind of like uh, kind of mirrors that we, we kind of ascend and we start connecting with different types of people. We attract different types of situations. And, and for me, it seems to work pretty well when I quit making it about other people and out there and just right. started taking responsibility for me and in here. Nice. So I, I love how you share your kind of version of that. This is really kind of fun for me. Because I feel like it's it's a very similar philosophy, just stated very differently. Right. Oh, very nice. So something else that I wanted to talk about is um, grounded spirituality. And to me, the spiritual path seems like a journey where we bridge the worlds between the head and the heart, the East and the West, the masculine and the feminine. And I think you've done such a great job of doing that. Um, you have a quote in your book. And again, I love your quotes. To ascend, we must bridge one wing, the Eastern quest for the eternal, with the other wing, the Western quest for emotional health. Get in your body, heal yourself, open your heart, and ascend to God. Yeah, yeah, I, call that, I call that Western consciousness now. <laughs> I've never heard that word. You come up with some good words. <laughs> and really, for me, what it is is about, yeah, it's like taking the wisdom of some of the Eastern traditions, which is the quest for unity, let's say. And and grounding that in something, which is the Western wisdom, the healthy self-concept, the boundaried self, the in, the integrity-based self, the quest for individual purpose, so that there's the ocean of essence, and then there's the individual droplet of meaning. And you bring both of them together in your life. And for, grounded spirituality, for me, really starts um, from the feet. It's really rooting and 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 healing the root chakra and working your way up chakric system or you can do it through whatever system you want so that when you actually have an ascended experience or you have a a god self experience let's say you're actually there for all of it it's sustainable because you have feet for it you're not a one-winged bird you're not on a pogo stick to the stars you're not bypassing reality and jumping to god you've actually done all the work so that you're actually meeting god eye to eye and you can sustain the interface and that's what grounded spirituality means for me, which means the practicalities of life are not, not spiritual. You know, I use the term enrealment. It's all part of it. It's 
it's really all part of this spiritual experience. It's not the mistake. Your personal identification as Tammy is not a mistake. Your ego is not a mistake. Your body is not a mistake. You non-duality or non-dual teachers that remove everything uncomfortable from the equation are not grounded spiritualists. They're disembodied spiritualists. Mm-hmm. To be a grounded spiritualist, you bring everything into the equation and you find the weave that supports your highest good. Mm. So simple, simple, really. It's so simple. It's, I mean, or, I just, it's or like you go to the mall. Like, or you go to the mall. You know, you get a little tired. And, and sometimes that's okay, too. I think there's nothing yeah. wrong with a little balance no. of everything. God is in the mall. God is in the mall. <laughs> oh, isn't that funny? God is in the mall. God's in traffic. That occurred to me one day when I was, like, really angry that I was stuck in traffic in Los Angeles. Like, God's here, too. And I kind of started busting up laughing. Yeah. And then the traffic started moving, which is sometimes the way it works. <laughs> it's so funny. So yes, we if we really want to ascend, we are inchworms and better it's better to take that trip one rung at a time up the ladder. Absolutely. School of Heart Knox will demand it. I mean, you know. Yeah, you want sustainable transformation. I mean, how many people ask me how long it's gonna take before they feel happy or satisfied? And, it, and you know, the answer is always it's gonna take you a lifetime. I mean, really that's why we're here. We're here to work it out incrementally in in a way that's solid and true. So that as we yes. get older, ideally, we feel like we're closer to our truth. We're living more of our purpose. We're, we've shedded more of our, mis- our true misidentifications of the path. And so that by the time we leave our body in this incarnation, we feel like we've actually shaped our soul to the next stage in this journey towards wholeness. You've actually gotten somewhere. And that's so my intention. When I take my last breath, I go, you know what? I did what I came here to do. Yeah, that's what, that's what Jean Houston was told by Margaret Mead. No, by Virginia Satir, actually, who did beautiful family systems work just before she died. She said, I, I did what I came here to do. And that's mm. what, what, I, what I want for everybody. I mean, if everybody was moving in that direction on the planet, we wouldn't have violent crime. We wouldn't have all of these, this madness, really, because people who are really, truly on their path, the last thing they ever want to do is get in anyone else's way. Oh, that's so true. But yeah, again, I don't think everybody's saying yes to this soul adventure. Uh, no, no. Most people are trapped in survivalism and fear related fear, to that. Yes. Reactivities. Yeah, absolutely. We have a long way to go, you know. I mean there's 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 movement, you know, there's a subtle shift, but we're gonna need tens of thousands more subtle shifts before we're all vibrating in this way, I think. So true. But I just love that I've said yes, and I know you have, and I know that Brent Carey has because he's created this form called Empower, and Nate has because he's our producer. But I, I do think it's kind of catching on. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, you know, I have a window business, and I'm in subdivision houses, and, you know, they have consciousness books lying around. I mean, 10 years ago, I never saw that. There was nothing like that. And, but having said that, still most of the planet is in poverty consciousness, and, you know, these are these are esoteric considerations for them. They really have nothing to do with their daily lives. So, you know, those of us who've said yes, just got to really work really hard to, so that we can not only on our own path, but, you know, set the stage for those that will follow. Yes. Well, and again, it comes back to that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're running from bullets and starving to death, you're probably right. not going to be contemplating the purpose of your life and what your deepest yeah. gifts are. No, your purpose is to survive. That's your exactly. Purpose. So, yeah, once you get above the cloud line, we can we can have this time and take this time to have these conversations and maybe create a beautiful book or a painting or, or something along those yeah. lines. So every yeah. day I'm grateful that I've gotten 
up this high. But it took a lot of work because I, like you, had a lot of survival issues, you know? Absolutely. And I'm grateful that I've gotten and paying my bills and being in poverty. You know, it hasn't been an easy trek up that hierarchy of needs ladder. (laughs) You know, and it's interesting for me, you say like you've gotten up that high. I mean, the way I think of it is I've gotten down this low, you know, because really in my early life, my temptation was to pull up and off of the earth plane in order to avoid the pain down here. Yes, of course. My work really has to be able to come back down and live much closer to the earth and Ah. feel my feelings when my feet are on the ground rather than feeling my feet moving quickly up and off of the ground. And yeah, to me, it's been a, it's been really a, um, uh, not a, not a wake up call. It's been a wake down call. It really has. And I love that you're saying that that is something I, I have addressed. And I think is so true for the roots for the branches to go high, the roots have to go deep. I mean, we all yeah. want the fruit at the end of the branches, but in order for those to show up and to be able to, to, to attract them, manifest them, or pick them, the roots have to go really deep so that we are really, really here. solidly here. Yeah, I mean, we're not birds. You know, we're human. Oh, and I did try that a lot yeah. as, a, as a young well, you person. You have to. I wanted it to helps. be, I'm an angel, I'm a fairy, I'm a light worker, I'm a bubble. <laughs> Yeah, so it didn't work so well, and yeah, I was so, really broke. Right, right, right. I, hey, I've known a lot of really pseudo-enlightened people living in their cars on the beaches of Maui. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to come down here, not just to come down here because practicality demands it, but to come down here because here is where it's at in human form. You know, this idea that we're getting, we're, as we, we expand, we go higher, I, I'm not exactly sure that that's right. I mean, that it may be that's inherently bypass thinking. Like, oh, I've done enough work, so now I can have a break from that human experience. I don't think so. To me, the work is actually going to the place where I can hold all of it again, but not as a fractured child that had to disconnect because it hurt too much, but as an evolved adult that can actually live in all elements yes, of reality. Yes, in your congruence. Right. What I have found is I have kind of become more congruent. I have more joy, more compassion. And it doesn't mean life doesn't hurt and that I don't have my tears. I lost my pet goose last week and boy, was I a weeping mess. But I didn't resist my grief. Sorry, let's go so back. Float a above it. Sorry, you, have, you had a pet goose? I did. His name was Gordy. He was very cute. Gordy. Well, he was wild, but we became very good friends. <laughs> he hung out on the property or something? Yeah, he would come. He, there's a lake, and he would come, and I would feed him, and we'd hang out, and I'd listen and look into his icy blue eye and his big orange knob. He was a Klingon goose. We had some really good times together for nine yep. years, and then you got a fox got him. Yes. Oh. Well, that was my duck. I had a duck, too. That was a wild duck. She would let me pet her. So she's gone, too. Fascinating. The circle of life. Yeah. Fox got him, eh? Yeah. There's murder in my backyard. People are like, somebody killed him, and it was a fox did, so then they don't have compassion for him anymore. <laughs> but he was still murdered. <laughs> it was very sad, though. But again, I really allowed the tears. I allowed my grief. And my husband's like, really? It's been four days. It, he was a goose. <laughs> but you I love, don't resist my, my feelings. Love, I yeah, love you Gordy. You love Gordy. I mean, that's the work to reach the stage where we can hold it all. And holding yes. it all yes. means... Not bypassing pain, allowing ourselves to feel pain, knowing, unlike as children, when it really was the end of the world, when mommy smacked you in the head, that was really too much. And so you had to disconnect from it. But now we can manage most of it. We can handle most of it, at least in Western culture in our lives here. 
So it's good to just be able to go back and not have to fragment or fracture, move through the process organically, and then come back out on the other side. You know, To me, that's just a whole human experience. Yeah, it is. And I feel like as I allow my feelings to flow through me without resistance, I eventually get through the grief more quickly. I think I didn't cry for 15 years and wondered why I struggled with depression and my, Fro- my therapist was trying feeling. to put me on stuff. Yeah, just suppressed feeling. feelings. That's what depression is, frozen feelings. That's exactly right. I love that you wrote that in your book because to me that was a different way of stating it. I heard yeah. it's um, just you know anger turned inward. That didn't yeah. quite resonate for me. But yeah, what just frozen, said, just got to move. It wants to thaw yes. out. I mean, we're built to thaw out. We're built to cry. Yes. We're built to rage. We're built to move on through it and feel that wonderful fresh feeling we felt as children. Yes. We cry it all out, and then the, everything looks sunny and beautiful again. We're built for that. You know, we just have to stop discrediting emotional processes in this world. Yeah, the tears is what melted my depression and woke me up to just being alive and awake and and human. And it's yeah. it's not always an easy process, but it really is quite beautiful when we say yes to it and get on the wave. So I have another quote that I have to read because it's so amazing from my friend Jeff Brown. <laughs> As it turns out, life really isn't a dress rehearsal. It's an undress rehearsal. We come down here time and time again to practice shedding our ego armor until we can step out on the stage of eternity, naked and exposed before God as God. Exit. Cloud left. <laughs> yeah, I like that You're so cute. I like that. It is cute, that quote. I like that quote. So profound and so I, cute. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know about that ego armor thing, because I don't like disparaging the ego. I keep thinking about another way to word that part, but I've left it there. It's resonant for people. Well, it works but, for me, because I mean, I like ego as edging God out. And there's healthy ego, and there's boundaries that are necessary. Yeah. Then there's unhealthy, where we think we're different, separate, better, worse, whatever. So yeah. I, I think it's okay to use that word. All right. Well, fair enough. Then we'll continue like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I've always. So, Jeff, always, how do people find you? How do they get a copy of your amazing book? How can they connect with you and get more of you if you're calling to them, which I'm sure you are. <laughs> well, they can go on my website, soulshaping.com, and and you know, Soul Shaping is available. If it's not in a bookstore, it can be ordered by the bookstore. Random House distributes it. It's it, they're on Amazon. It's in Amazon. And, and uh, soon I'll have a, a new website called uh, loveitforward.net. I have a Love It Forward fan page on Facebook where we're going to sell my second book, Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, my quotes book on a street level through homeless and economically challenged people worldwide. So mm-hmm. just to make people aware of that as well. I love that. I want you to come back and talk to me when that book's available because that's Yeah, no, the book, that book is available actually now and I can send you a copy. Uh-huh. And the movement should be up and running in two to three weeks. We're just preparing the final, the initial video. Oh, that's very exciting. You're doing yeah. some real work. I'm so glad you said yes to your soul. Yeah, I'm glad I yes said to this yes interview. To my I had to stalk too. you on Facebook for a while to get you to get on here, but it was cool. But it's all good from my perspective. I'm <laughs> glad you said out. yes. It all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are just a really fun human being. I think this has been just a wonderful use of my time. <laughs> And for my listeners, I am so honored you hung out with Jeff and myself. I'm sure you got some value from his his wisdom and his sweetness and his particular brand of spirit. So thank you for hanging out with us. Jeff, do you have any final words of wisdom or something you want to leave us with before we part ways? 
Yes, go to the shopping mall and buy my book. <laughs> buy my book you know, at the shopping mall. Yes. Talking about this really has brought back some desire to get out there and find something blingy. Yeah. I, I love something shiny and sparkly. So I, I love that wisdom. I think I might have to take you up on that. Right on. Do it. Right on, do it. So whatever you do, go out there, celebrate yourself. You're so amazing. You are the child in whom God is well pleased. What better reason could there be to celebrate yourself? God bless you, onward and upward. Bye for now. 